You know, we live in an age of rapid change. It's kind of like the weather. Our lives and our surroundings and our routines, they're all constantly changing. Sometimes so fast that we don't even notice it. We can't keep track. It's actually hard to keep up sometimes. And in the process, things that once were necessities to us become quaint. They become obsolete, even ridiculous. Remember using payphones? Remember unfolding an actual paper map to find your way somewhere? And how hard it was to actually get it back? What about adjusting an antenna so you could watch your favorite show? I mean, it's ironic now that everyone carries a cell phone, which has a navigation system, and you can watch shows on them. I mean, who would have thought? Even fairly recent technologies and recent routines are now gone. Like going to Blockbuster. Getting film developed. Popping a VHS tape in the VCR. Storing information on a floppy disk. And encyclopedia sets. I mean, if Chris Bunch was to show his Air Supply Greatest Hits cassette tape to a 10-year-old, that kid would have no idea what it was, much less what to do with it. He'd be like, cassette player? This must be where I put my iPhone or a charging dock. So things change, and they change quick. And to think that all those things once had a purpose... I mean, they had a use that everyone understood. But somewhere, somehow, things changed. Do you know the same thing can happen to us? I mean, think about it. When you're young, man, life's all about playing. Isn't it? Joy and excitement. It's about having fun. Summers always seem to just go on forever. And then it becomes about learning. It becomes about getting an education. Then the focus becomes working and trying to get a step ahead in life. So somewhere, somehow, things changed. And you sat down one day. And you're tired and you're worn out and you think, is this all there is? Isn't there more to life than getting a job and trying to just keep ahead? Isn't there more than making money and acquiring stuff? Isn't there more than just this endless cycle of sleeping and waking up? And having ups in life and having downs in life. Just the endless cycle. I mean, is it possible? Is it really possible to live life with purpose? With meaning? With significance? 
Jesus believed it was possible. And not only did he believe it, but he gave us a path. He actually showed us the way to that kind of life. You see, early in his ministry, Jesus revealed something very important about himself. And this, in turn, revealed a path for everyone who chooses to follow him. And he did this in his hometown synagogue. And it's depicted in the following clip from the movie Son of God. Let's take a look at it. Son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? His name is Jesus. Jesus will now read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to declare freedom for the captive and recovery of sight for the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. What are you saying? What are you saying? That you have achieved all this? That you are the Messiah, the chosen one, sent by God? No! I'm saying you must accept God's word. How dare you? That is sacrilege. He has never studied the law. This man knows nothing. His healing is the work of demons. It has begun. He undermines our faith. He recruits adulterers. Peter, turn the other cheek. You'll pay the price for this, like your friend, John the Baptist. You haven't heard, have you? He was executed. 
Now, each week we have been watching the depiction of a Bible passage. And then we've been going to our Bibles to study and then to apply this to our lives. Today is the third part of a series we're in. It's called, Who Do You Say I Am? And we're going to be looking at Jesus' revelation of himself as the anointed one. The one promised by the prophets. So if you're following along in your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen. We are at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And I'm going to read this. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So let me give you a little background here. A synagogue was like a church, a place to worship. They were also called houses of instruction. Every town and village had one. And in most cases, the synagogues were made out of rock. And they faced Jerusalem. So when the teacher or the rabbi was reading or teaching, they would actually be facing Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was where the temple was. Now the synagogue service consisted of prayers, psalm singing, and you actually could hear that in the background in that video. Blessings, readings from the scripture, followed by a sermon explaining the portion that had been read. So it's very similar to what we do. They would read from the Torah, which are just the first five books of the Bible. If you go to the Old Testament, the first five books you have is the Torah, also called the five books of Moses. Now another reading would follow, and this would be the writings of the prophets. This is in your Old Testament as well. And the prophets is what Jesus read. Now synagogues had reading plans, so they must have been in a series of readings in Isaiah. Because it said the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he unrolled it. So Jesus unrolls the scroll to the scripture that is marked in our Bibles as Isaiah 61 verse 1. And he went here and he read this for a very specific purpose. To announce his mission statement. As the anointed one, the Messiah. So he was stating, this is why I'm here. This is my purpose. And this was a very controversial claim. To say that he was the anointed one. The one that the world had awaited for centuries. Friends, the days of King David had long passed. 
the splendor and the riches of the mighty nation was gone. This dynasty had collapsed. There was a thousand years between King David and Jesus. A lot had happened in that time. They'd been beat down. They'd been conquered. They'd been disgraced. They were being treated very poorly. They were being taxed very heavily. If you remember the video that was played in here last week, you can understand why they hated tax collectors. People were being forced to sell their land. People were being forced into slavery if they could not afford to pay. So things were bad. Life was hard. And the only hope that they had was in this scripture. I mean, the prophets foretold this. The prophecy of a coming king. God's own son, the Messiah. He was going to come and he was going to change everything. He was going to restore everything back to its former glory. He was going to usher in a new kingdom. And Jesus unrolls the scroll. He reads it. And he says, today, this has happened. I am the anointed one. Everything in your Torah, everything in the prophets, they point to me. I am the Messiah. And he says, and this is my mission. So in revealing his mission... As the anointed one, Jesus also characterized this new kingdom that he was ushering in. He painted a picture of not only how he would operate, but of how his kingdom would operate. How everyone who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus should operate. So in other words, in publishing his mission statement, Jesus wrote... Your mission statement. Which means you don't have to wonder anymore what your purpose is. You don't have to wonder, what am I here for? Jesus intends for everyone who follows him to reflect his priorities. To pursue his purpose. To pursue his mission. And for you, this basically means three things. First, you accept the mission. You accept the mission. John 3, verse 33 says, The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. You know, just because something's right in front of you, even if it's marked very clearly, it doesn't mean that we always accept it. You know, some years back, I was going through a divorce. I was going through a divorce that I didn't want. And I was trying everything possible to keep her from divorcing me. I was blessed to have a friend here in the church. His name was Jib. And unfortunately, he was going through a divorce as well. 
So we hung out a lot. We would get all the kids and we would go camping and just do fun stuff. And, and it just helped ease some of the pain of what we was going through. Man, we both wanted our families back. We would pray together. We would fast together. We would ask God to move these mountains, that, these obstacles that were in front of us. We would ask God to part the seas. We didn't want to give up. We didn't want to accept that our marriages were over. My divorce became final. His divorce became final. But we still prayed that things could be restored. For a full year after our divorces, neither of us dated anyone. We were still holding out hope. We still had not accepted that things were over. One Sunday about three years ago, Chris was teaching on listening to God and listening to his plans. And Jib and I were sitting in the middle, but the celebration actually faced this way, so the stage was set up over here at the time. Derek had just become the worship leader at the jar. And he had come up after, at the end of the service, and he played the song, How He Loves Us. And we were asked to just be still and listen. And I remember just being overcome at that moment by the Holy Spirit. And very clearly, very clearly I felt God tell me in that moment to quit chasing what is gone. That it would not be restored. It was time for me to accept it. It was time for me to move on. That there was something else important awaiting me down the road. The song stopped. I opened my eyes. I looked over at Jib. He was bawling. I said, well, what did God tell you? He said, God told me to keep pursuing this. It's not over yet. So I was to accept that it was over. And he was to accept that there was still a chance. February 17th, 2013, Jib and his ex-wife Kendall remarried. Four months later, June 29th, I married a beautiful, God-honoring woman named Loretta. You see, both stories, change began with acceptance. Understanding what was happening and then accepting it. You see, when Jesus, when he read those words from the Isaiah scroll in the synagogue, it would have been understood. This would have been understood by every Jew listening that those words applied to the Messiah. Those words applied to the anointed one. I mean, they knew the Torah. They knew the writings of the prophets. Their education systems forced them to memorize scripture at a very early age. They know what Jesus read, what it was about. They understood that. Now, they also understood that the scripture Jesus read also referred to something else. Something else that was very exciting. Something else that brought joy. Brought joy. It was called the year of the Jubilee. 
Let me explain this. You see, the Jews had a custom. You can read about it in Leviticus. Not only would every seventh day of the week be a Sabbath. I'm sure you've heard that, the Sabbath, the day of rest. But that every seventh year would also be a Sabbath. So it would be a year that the land would not be farmed. It would be kind of a year of rest for the land, so to speak. Refreshing of the soil. And get this, after every seventh Sabbath year, so that's every 50 years, there would be what was called the year of Jubilee. And in that year, all slaves would be set free. All those whose poverty had forced them to sell their lands would receive them back. Those who had lost family members into slavery or imprisonment would be reunited with their loved ones. So you can see why it was called the Jubilee. This was a celebration. It was a rejoicing. And this is what Jesus said his mission was. He came to bring good news to the poor. This is the same good news that had people dancing in the streets every 50 years. He came to bring broken families together, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal those who are hurting. He came to free the slaves, to open the doors of darkness, to untie people's hands, to break people's chains. But not just one year every 50. That was already supposed to be the case. Jesus came to bring a worldwide jubilee. Now. Today. Every day. That would speak good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives. Healing to the brokenhearted. Forgiveness for the guilty. Freedom from those who feel controlled. Release for people that feel trapped. Deliverance, laughter, relief, joy. Jubilee. You see, that was his mission. And that's your mission. Your mission is to not merely go to church for an hour a week. Or to try to read your Bible a little bit. Your mission is to take joy. To take praise. To take worship. To take healing and fun out into the public. To take it out into the streets. And to share this news with those that are around us. You see, that is our mission. That is our purpose. But you have to accept it. It's like the marriage stories that I told earlier. Change can only take place after acceptance. But to usher in a new kingdom, Jesus needs more than us to just understand. He needs more than just us to accept what He is saying. We also need to adopt The method. Adopt 
the method. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, a young teenage boy just got his driver's license. Man, when he got home, he asked his father, who was a minister, if they could discuss the use of the car. Man, he was excited. He wanted to drive. His father took him into his study, and he said to the boy, I'll make a deal with you. You bring your grades up, study your Bible a little bit, and get a haircut. Then we'll talk about the use of the car. So after about a month, the boy came back, and again he asked his father if they could discuss the use of the car. They again went to the father's study where his father said, Son, man, I am so very proud of you. You have brought your grades up. You have studied your Bible diligently. But you didn't get your hair cut. The young man waited a moment and he replied, Dad, you know, I've been thinking about that. Samson had long hair. Moses, he had long hair. Noah had long hair. Even Jesus had long hair. And his father interrupted him at that point and said, Yes, son. And they walked everywhere they went. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we hear things, we sometimes hear only certain things. We sometimes hear only the things that we want to hear. And most people miss the incredible impact of what Jesus said in that synagogue in Nazareth. I mean, there was many texts that he could have chosen to read that day. Many texts that apply to him as being the Messiah. But why did he choose Isaiah 61 verse 1? I mean, why do you think he chose that passage? You see, Jesus was making it clear that people are his priority. He was making it clear people are his priority. He chose a passage about sharing good news, about proclaiming freedom, about bringing healing, about releasing prisoners, about compassionately meeting people's needs. And that is the Spirit of Christ. That's the Spirit of Christ right there. You see, the Jews were not very compassionate. They didn't like Gentiles. And that was anybody that wasn't Jewish. They didn't like Samaritans. And they were half Jewish. Half Gentiles. They didn't like Romans. They didn't like tax collectors. They really didn't like women. They really didn't like children. But Jesus did. And this kingdom that he introduced... A new way of life that he made possible. The path that he showed us. The purpose. The calling that he intends for his followers. This was a new living way. This was one that had enough grace for everyone to be included. 
It excluded no one. Spreads jubilee. Spreads happiness. See, the method of your mission given to you by Jesus is love. It's simple. It's love. Your method is not argument. It's not ridicule. It's not politics. It's not protest. It's love. It's to spread healing. It's to spread hope. It's to spread joy and jubilee everywhere you go. See, people are what's important to Jesus, and people have to be important to us. And this needs to be ingrained in us, <coughs> like tattooed on our hearts. This is important. So first, you accept the mission. Then you adopt the method. You actually make this a part of you. And finally, because you're a follower of Jesus and you share his mission, you apply the measurement. You apply the measurement. John 15, verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Matthew 7, verse 20 says, As a result, you will recognize them by their fruit. You see, a good while after Jesus announced his mission at the synagogue in Nazareth, something interesting happened. It's still in Luke chapter 7, but it's, 18, it's verses 18 through 20 and also verse 22. I'm going to read this. John the Baptist called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and good news is being preached to the poor. So notice what Jesus was saying to John. Jesus referred to his mission statement. John asked, are you really the Messiah or do we keep looking? Jesus replied, look at the measure of the Messiah, John. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and good news is preached to the poor. So he said, in effect, am I fulfilling my mission or not? So Jesus pointed back to Isaiah 61 as the measure of his success. And I think the measure of Jesus 
Success is the measure of mine, is the measure of yours. You see, we have a tendency to measure ourselves by going to church each week, by how we serve, by how we give. But Jesus applies a different measurement, and we should too. The real measure is in the fulfillment of your mission. The measure for me and the measure for you is this. Am I spreading healing? Am I spreading hope, joy everywhere I can? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Are the people around me, whether it's my friends, whether it's my family, whether it's my neighbors or my co-workers, are they discovering the joy of a life that I have in Christ? I mean, can I, like Jesus did, can I point to the fruits of my efforts and ask, am I fulfilling my mission or not? I mean, am I loving people closer to a relationship with God? Has someone's life changed because I'm in their life? Can I say, look at the fruits? Man, people's eyes are being opened. People are finding new strength. People are finding new health and new joy. Because I'm following Jesus. Because He is working in me and He's working through me. Man, can I say that? Can you say that? Can you point to that? You know, there is a difference between knowing the good news and being the good news. We need to be the evidence of the power of God. How we live our lives, what people see, that's the evidence. You know what you do counts? It does. And it counts all the time. You know, if people don't see joy, if people don't see happiness in your life, who's going to want what you've got? Think about that. I mean, if you're always going around and you're always grumpy and you're judgmental to people and you're always posting things for everyone to read about how unfulfilling your life is and how unhappy you are, Who's going to want that? Who's going to want what you have? Where's the good news in any of that? Man, we need to be spreading hope. We need to be spreading healing. We need to be spreading joy and excitement. Because that's what people need to see in our lives. Because those are the things that other people's going to want. They're the things that other people's going to see in us, and then they're going to desire that. That's our mission. That's the whole 
new kingdom that Jesus ushered in. Man, we need to be bringing excitement and joy into the halls of our schools. Between the walls of our workplaces. Because we're difference makers. We are difference makers. We should be leaving a mark on everybody we come in contact with. You know, you leave enough marks on people, you've colored that person. That's what we need to do. And you know, this purpose that Jesus has for us, this mission, it isn't easy. Nobody ever said there wasn't going to be times of hardships that you're going to face. Nobody ever said that there wouldn't be times of ridicule that you're going to face. You know, I think of Jesus. And I told you earlier that synagogues were were built facing Jerusalem. So every time Jesus would have stood up and taught or read in a synagogue, he would have been facing Jerusalem. He would have been facing Calvary. The place where his body would be broken for you. The place where his blood would be shed for you. You know, this mission cost Jesus his life and it saved ours. So I just want to take a moment. I want you to be able to confess anything to God that you need to. Maybe listen, maybe just reflect for a second. Then I want you to stand up, go to one of these tables that are in the four corners here. And we're going to take communion together. This is where us, as one body, we come together to not only remember, but to celebrate what Christ did for us. When you finish, just return to your seats. Derek's going to close us in a song, a celebration. So let's bow our heads and let me pray. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. God, allow us to honor him right now with this communion. Thank you for showing us a mission and a purpose to bring joy, to bring excitement into people's lives. Lord, let our hearts just overflow with a desire to be able to to bring happiness to others. God, let our lives and our actions be a testament to your saving grace. Give us boldness, God, to step out. Give us boldness to be your difference makers. 
God, I ask that you speak to each one of us right now. I ask that you examine each one of our hearts. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to just fill this place right now. God, I pray for each person in here to just be able to feel your presence. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.